0: To invest in a franchise, then our Buying a Franchise podcast is for you.
1: Join us as we go through all of the franchise basics and help you on your journey to finding your dream franchise. Here at Inside Franchise Business, we acknowledge
0: the traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to elders past and present.
1: Hello and welcome. My name's Amy Lata and this is the Buying a Franchise podcast, vital listening for anyone interested in buying or that's in the process of buying a franchise. Each episode, I'm joined by Sarah Stowe, editor of Inside Franchise Business, Australia's leading franchise hub, to help us guide through everything we need to know about the franchise buyer's journey. Sarah, today you're going to help us get an understanding of key items in any franchising agreement. Now, as I understand it, this is a contract between the franchisor and the franchise buyer. So what is the franchise agreement and how does it differ from a standard business contract?
0: Uh, Hi, Amy. Well, the franchise agreement is a legal document that specifies the rights and responsibilities of the franchisor who owns the business and the franchisee who is buying into the business. It's, It's effectively a binding agreement that's the basis of the ongoing relationship between the franchisor and the franchisee. So while it is a business contract, it does have specific elements that govern the relationship between the two parties. Sometimes people are surprised that an agreement favors the franchisor. Of course, the agreement is written by the franchisor's lawyer, so it has their interests uppermost. But it's important to know there are rules that govern a franchise agreement and aim to create a well-balanced document that doesn't unfairly constrain the franchisee. I'll just mention here that every franchise agreement has to comply with the Franchising code of, conduct, code of Conduct or the code, as you might hear it referred to by franchisors. This code really shapes every franchisee-franchisor relationship. It's a mandatory rulebook, if you like, that outlines what franchisors and franchisees can and can't do, provides procedures and timescales for certain things, such as dispute mediation, and the signing up to and exiting a franchise agreement.
1: Okay, so just to be clear, the franchise agreement is bound by the code. Now, the code is another podcast, I'm sure, and is written by the franchisor. So does the franchisee have to accept it as is, or is there room for negotiation?
0: In some cases, it may be possible to negotiate certain elements of the agreement, and and that's really why it's good to use the services of a franchise lawyer who understands the intricacies of the agreement And can also spot if any clauses are unfavourable.
1: Yeah, okay. And so let's delve into the differences between a regular business contract and a franchise contract. What are the main elements of this agreement you need to consider as a potential franchisee?
0: For a potential franchisee, the two crucial differences would be the inclusion of a fee structure and the specific obligations the franchisee must observe during the the term of the agreement. Um, But there are quite a few elements to be aware of, and they all have an impact on how appropriate the business is for you and for your situation. The key points range from the term of the agreement, the initial franchise fee, and ongoing fees, to the location or territory, the supply arrangements in place, marketing and training commitments, and of course to your obligations as a franchisee, and then what happens when the agreement is terminated.
1: Okay, so let's start at the beginning with the term. Assuming that terms vary depending on sort of what franchise you are looking at, what are some of the questions someone should ask when considering the length of the franchise term?
0: It's important to know whether the term can be renewed, that's the first thing, and how many times. And it's worth checking to see how many franchisees do renew their agreements. And if they have had time within the first term, To get a return on their investment so they are not just renewing so that they can recoup their funds Uh, just a note about renewals be aware the renewal is an option it's not actually a guarantee Um, that's for both the franchisee and the franchisor but there do have to be solid grounds for a franchisor to refuse to renew a term if the agreement allows for it if there's going to be a lease involved find out whether the franchise term and the lease term can be aligned That makes it a whole lot easier to manage when it comes to renewals so you aren't left with a renewed franchise agreement but nowhere to operate from or in fact vice versa.
1: Okay and moving on from the term the second element that you mentioned is the initial franchise fee and any upfront costs that a buyer should expect when making a purchase.
0: Yeah the initial franchise fee is usually fixed but it's not always. Um, Essentially this is like buying a license to operate the business it's what you pay as a franchisee it's what you pay the franchisor for the right to use the brand to use the processes and procedures to have access to support and sometimes the cost of the initial training there isn't any guidance at all on what this figure should be whether or not it is good value is up to the buyer and their advisors to to make that evaluation other upfront payments will vary depending on the type and size of business that's being purchased these are very much costs that any business franchise or otherwise would incur
1: okay and you've used the phrase initial or upfront costs tell me about the ongoing franchise fees and any other fees that um that there may be what exactly are they and how much would a franchisee um, need to pay
0: ongoing franchise fees are a standard inclusion in a a franchise agreement Uh, the two most common Ongoing fees are the franchise or royalty fee, it could be referred to, and the marketing levy. The monthly royalty fee can be calculated in a number of ways, as a percentage of gross revenue or of profit, a combination of both, or it may be a fixed amount each month. How it is defined will actually be explained in the individual franchise agreement. Um, the marketing levy is often charged as a percentage of revenue, And this goes into the franchisor's marketing fund. It's important to understand exactly what this is for, because while you might expect that it pays for all your marketing expenses, the reality is a marketing fund serves to support national promotions and campaigns. That means generally local area marketing used to promote a franchisee's business is an additional cost. And that's the responsibility of the individual franchisee. There isn't a set percentage charged for these fees. But a quick scan across a number of brands will show that a 5 to 7% royalty fee and a marketing fee of 2 to 4% is fairly common. The fee percentage is also dependent on the type of industry and, of course, what's included in the business. So it's worth having a closer look at this element if you believe the, fa- if you believe the fees are high or very low. The franchise fee goes towards franchise support. That's things like admin costs and staffing. So if it's a low bar, that might indicate a very low level of support. There may be staff training fees. And if you sell the business before the end of the term, there is usually a fee payable to the franchisor that's expressed as a fixed fee or a percentage of the sale price.
1: Okay, so that's that's really what an ongoing fee will include. Next item that you mentioned is territory. Can you shed some light on this?
0: Yeah, it quite simply means the geographical borders that you will be operating your business within, and that's defined by elements including the demographics of the area, market size and the population density. Franchisors can offer exclusive territories, which means that you are the only franchisee who can operate within that area, Uh, or a territory could just have marketing exclusivity. Now, that allows other franchisees to provide a service in your area, but they can't promote their business in your space. There's actually even a non-exclusive territory which limits you to operate in a much smaller sphere. Now, that might be a food retail business that allows you to operate in the same prescribed location and be confident at the same time that another franchisee from the same network won't open up next to you. It gives you some exclusivity. What's important to consider when you're looking at this is whether the territory, whatever the type it is is big enough for you to build a viable business and what would happen if the site or territory next to you became available would you have first right of refusal? you might also find out whether if you become too busy to full the potential of your to fulfill the potential of your area um, you can sell off part of your territory
1: okay so. You've gone through the term, the initial or upfront costs, the ongoing fees, and the territory. You also mentioned the supply chain as a key part of the franchise agreement. Now, I'm sure, given the vast array of or types of franchises that are on the market, that can be quite different depending on business. Help me explore this.
0: Yeah, it can play a key role in a business, and, and you're right because there's a lot of um, variety according to the type of business. Um, and. and particular agreements Um, some sectors the cost of goods is a big expense so if you take a food franchise uh, getting the right ingredients at the right price can make a big difference to the franchisees bottom line. So the franchise agreement will indicate whether franchisees have to use specific suppliers for essential goods or whether they can source their own supplies from a company of their choice. Now, of course, one of the benefits of being in a franchise is the buying power of the brand. So there are definite advantages to having a preferred supplier. Potential franchisees should check the details of the supply arrangements to see what the rules are in times of short supply. For instance, can they source locally if there's a problem with the national supplier? What are the charges? You'll need to factor these into your analysis of the business's
1: viability. Okay, and so this franchise agreement does it refer to a franchisee's obligations to operate the franchise?
0: Uh, that's right, it does. Um, so in addition to how you source your essential supplies, there are there are of course a few other key commitments that are set out in your franchise agreement and this is where it differs from a, a straightforward business contract. Uh, you do have to follow um, certain rules. So as a franchisee, you have a responsibility to follow the rules that cover intellectual property. And this obviously includes the use of branding, any logos, um, any branded material that you might use in your business operations. You may be required to buy particular items of equipment um, and there will be capital costs that are associated with this. Any expected outlay, if it's a substantial outlay of capital, has to be included in the franchise agreement so a franchisee can factor in the costs to their budget. Um, other elements that may be included as an operational responsibility may be a minimum minimum performance level required. You may need to, to reach certain benchmarks. Um, the franchisor might require attendance at a national conference or at state meetings. The sharing of financial data with the franchisor is you know, quite common. Um, even a commitment to be involved with local community. These are all things that would be outlined in the franchise agreement and they are um, obligations for the franchisee.
1: Okay, so we've sort of covered what you need to look for when purchasing the franchise and everything through to running uh, and operating the franchise. What does the franchise agreement tell us about getting to the to the other end, the end of the business contract and what it might mean to terminate agreement?
0: Well there are a few options around what happens at the end of a franchise term. As I've mentioned, there isn't an automatic renewal to a franchise agreement. So it's important franchise buyers understand what the franchise agreement tells them about extending their franchise term should they wish to do so. The franchise agreement will also outline what are the conditions a franchisee has to comply with if they want to sell their business before the end of the term, and the circumstances in which the agreement can be terminated by either party. The franchisee's rights and obligations will be explained in the franchise agreement. For instance, do they have any rights to goodwill? Are there any restraint clauses included? And obvious though it sounds, it's important for a franchise buyer to know the date of the end of the agreement.
1: Okay, so we now know what's crucial in a franchise agreement. When do I, as a potential franchise buyer, get to see a copy of it?
0: Usually after you have made some initial inquiries about the business and um, you've determined that you want to pursue the opportunity further, you're serious about this particular franchise. Um, It's worth noting that the franchise agreement is just one of six key documents that a franchisor has to provide a potential franchisee. There is an information sheet which explains some of the risks and opportunities that exist in franchising in general. That's not brand specific. It's a standard um, information sheet. The second document is the key facts sheet, and this does relate specifically to the business concerned, and it provides in a set format some basic facts about the franchise. Then there is the disclosure document, obviously the franchise agreement we're talking about here, a copy of the franchising code of conduct, And a copy of the lease and relevant lease disclosure statements, if that's appropriate. It might seem like document overload, but at this point, a potential franchisee now has the opportunity to delve deeper and decide whether or not this franchise is going to be a viable option for them.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about the disclosure document actually in a previous podcast, Sarah. And I think the point you raised then is probably pertinent here too. Even with a franchise lawyer looking out for you, it's really important that people read these documents for themselves. You're
0: right. I mean, understanding what you're buying into is crucial, Amy. So taking the time to read the franchise agreement and the other documents is worthwhile. So you can really grasp what the franchisor is asking of you and in turn, what will be provided in return. Um, That's the smartest way to head into business, really, with your eyes wide open.
1: Indeed. All right, Sarah, thank you for these insights in the franchise agreement. If you'd like to find out more about the documents mentioned, check out our other podcasts in Buying a Franchise. You can read a transcript of this conversation in the show notes. Until next time. Thank you, Sarah.
0: Thank you, Amy. Thanks
1: again for listening to our Buying a Franchise podcast. Each episode, we uncover more tips and expert advice to streamline your franchise journey. So don't
0: forget to subscribe and as always, visit franchisebusiness.com.au to download your free franchise handbook and access even more great franchising info.